Hey everyone, welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Uh, Just a quick note before we begin that today's episode is four-part series of live shows. That's right, live shows hosted at Cornerstone Christian Church right here in Brownsburg, Indiana. We will be welcoming both Christian and non-Christian guests to talk about effective and ineffective methods of evangelism. If you missed last night's live taping, we, we do invite you to join us July 10th and 17th at the same time for some great coffee and amazing conversation. Can't make it? Don't worry. We got you covered. We'll be posting the live sessions right here for your listening pleasure. All right, here's the show. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast that's all in the name. Good coffee with great conversation. Here's your host, Larry Vincent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you help me welcome Mr. Ray Marsh. Come on up, Ray. You already poured your coffee. You, you, you cheated on me. You cheated. You, yeah, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll allow it for just today. All right. Uh, we are we are brewing. I gotta give them a shout out in hopes that they give me a discount at some point. Um, that this is uh, the coffee that we use. If you guys don't know this, this is the same coffee we use on Sunday. It is Brick House Coffee Company. Uh, that's in uh, s- southern Indianapolis, I think, uh, south side, uh, and and they they furnish our coffee. Great Christian people, great Christian mission, and so we're using their coffee uh, during the whole series. So we're excited to have them. But you get. The French press. Nice. And not very many people get the French press, right? You should feel, you should feel honored, man. I do. All right. Well, let, let's get started. Um, before we get into your testimony, all right, uh, and, and, and your faith, your faith journey, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do now, uh, your family, you know, and how you got into the position you're at at Coca-Cola. Okay. So. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. I've uh, been in a variety of different positions. I uh, went to school at Purdue University and out of Purdue University. Boiler up. There we go. There we go. I knew I'd, I knew I'd get some shouts for that. Go Buckeyes! <laughs> no? No? Uh, no? Uh, yeah, 49.20 is all I got to say about that. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm not competitive at all, right? <laughs> Um, actually, I, I come from a pretty competitive background, and I was just getting ready to tell you that my first position in ministry was with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So I was, I've been involved in athletics my whole life and uh, became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I guess we're going to talk about that more in a few minutes, but um, I took that enthusiasm for sports into ministry and immediately figured out what evangelism was all about, using something that I would have in common with people in the world to talk about Jesus Christ and uh, what is really important to me. And since then, God has uh, had me here and there and, and all over the place. I've had great opportunities to be outreach pastors at a couple of really large churches in uh, central Indiana. Uh, I've even uh, been a campus pastor and opened a new campus uh, at, a, at a large church here in the Indianapolis area. And for the last two years, uh, I have been a corporate chaplain for Corporate Chaplains of America at Coca-Cola. Started out at five different locations in central Indiana, Anderson, Lafayette, Terre Haute, Speedway, and Bloomington. Uh, yes, I did have to go to Bloomington. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, after we gave them a year of the experience, they had never had chaplains before, at least in, Indi- in Indiana. They pulled me back to just the Speedway 
uh, location because there are significantly more Coca-Cola employees in Speedway than there are in those outlying locations where it's mostly just warehouses and distributing the product and things like that. It has been a great two years there. I've just really enjoyed how much Coca-Cola has encouraged me and supported me and said to the employees, this is somebody, this is an organization, this is somebody that we believe would care for you uh, in a way that we maybe can't care for you. And so uh, it's just been great how meeting after meeting I go to and email after email that I see that they are giving my position props and placing me in a position within the employees to be able to minister to them, to care for them, and ultimately to lead them to Christ. That's awesome. Uh, by the way, you, you said something. Uh, outreach pastors are the best type of pastor. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> What is your title? I, I am the Connections Pastor. Connections but Outreach Pastor. I am in charge pastor. of outreach. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, they're, they're, yeah. just, they're just the best kind of pastors. They are. They, they absolutely know, are. Way better than those senior minister types, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> he is in the audience. Yeah, right I know. Now. I saw yeah. him come in. <laughs> he is in the audience right now, and I'm probably going to hear about this okay. one later. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's, again, before we get into your, there's just yeah. one more thing I, I, I think that our people would love to hear about. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about how we uh, connected and how and what your hope is mm -hmm. with partnering mm. with our church cornerstone. If you all don't know this yet, uh, we are partnering with with Ray um, here at Cornerstone for a very specific reason. So Ray, why don't you tell us a little bit yeah, about that? So glad you asked about that. I've been praying ever since I got here for a church uh, that would that I would be able to appoint employees towards. Uh, to have them be discipled and to understand what the body of Christ is all about. Um, and I know that it's, it's my calling to get them to accept Christ, but um, as far as nurturing them and, and pointing them in the right direction, there's a lot of people uh, where we're at that, uh, and you know, not just where we're at, but everywhere that have forsaken church, right? They just want to do their own church. They want to do it on their own. And I feel because I have a church background I uh, feel heavily convicted to point people after they make a decision to the church. And so I've been praying for a church in the area that uh, would allow us to come in and maybe enable us to help this person make it an initial decision for Christ and come and uh, do a first obedient step of being baptized. And then that I would give, obviously, give the church who's giving us the opportunity to use their building and their baptistry a moment to stop and talk about what their church is all about. So not only the person who comes to make a decision and get baptized, but the 10 or 20 employees that come to watch that employee make that decision who probably don't have church homes. And as I prayed about that opportunity, I walked into Mason's office one day and I just said, hey, what would you think? You know, he, he's excited about your, your, where he goes to church. He talks to me all the time and texts me books that his small group is studying and things that are going on here. I knew about uh, these Wednesday night gatherings at least a year ago. He was telling me about different people that come in and, and were talking about their viewpoint about the world and where they were coming from. So I knew he was excited. So, and I knew he was, the church was probably pretty close by. So I just walked in and I said, hey, let me throw this at you. What would you think? And immediately he said, let's call Larry and let's have a lunch and let's get together. And so we had a lunch uh, there in Speedway. And uh, that was the first time that you and yeah. I got to meet. It was. And he enthusiastically 
said yes to what we were proposing and looking to expose the employees of Coca-Cola to as far as the church body goes. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's important for me because at my first church, uh, I, I, we would baptize people and we would get them to the water. Uh, but in my, my immaturity and my ignorance and lack of experience, I said, well, as long as you go to church, you're going to learn everything you, know, you need to know. And I didn't disciple these people. Mm. And, and, and all the people that we had baptized just kind of pilfered out, you know. And so, yeah. so I learned a hard lesson about how important discipleship is, which is why I love Cornerstone, because Cornerstone is a place that cares about discipleship. I mean, it's right there in our, we have a discipleship path, for crying out loud, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it was <laughs> one of the things that really attracted me to, to our church was this idea that we, not, we don't only care about showing people Jesus, uh, we care about helping them grow in Jesus and, and helping others lead the way, you know. Um, Perfect. It's, it's just an awesome. So I'm glad we could partner yeah. along with that. So as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Bev Myers, the one who was baptized here just a couple weeks ago, is an employee at Coca-Cola. Uh, and it was a direct relationship of that, uh, of that partnership that brought her to us. And we're so grateful. Be- Bev is just a wonderful woman. And she we is. Just, we love her. We love her man to death. Yeah. And it's just so, so awesome. I'm so, so glad to know she's here on Sunday mornings. That's for sure. She is. We, and yeah. we, can, back, we can back that up. Like, we, <laughs> like yes, yes, she is here. She, and and she, she's just a wonderful woman. That's uh, great. All right. Let's get into the evangelism. That's why we're yeah. here tonight. All right. Let's, let's talk about first your faith story. Yeah. So who you were before Christ, how you came to Christ and who you are now because of Christ. Yeah, great. That Paul testimony, right? Right out of the New Testament. Um, so I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, I was raised in a sports enthusiastic home. That's why sports became a big part of my life. But most Sundays growing up, I was on the riverbank with my dad um, because it was sports-oriented or, uh, you know, we were doing something else. We were traveling somewhere. Church, they never, ever introduced me to church. But I struck up a great, speaking of sports, I struck up a great relationship with a friend down the street who had a huge side yard. And you know what? If you got a huge side yard and football. you're a young boy, that's an attraction. That's a <laughs> magnet. We played football there. We played baseball there. We played basketball there. We did it all. And it happened to be the son of the pastor right down the street, okay? Not happened to be. We know that. God's working behind the scenes and using what I was passionate about to draw me closer to him. I had no idea that's what was going on when I went there almost every day to play sports with all the kids in the neighborhood and stuff. It's just a rallying point. And so, uh, you know, after getting to know know them for a couple of years and going to some VBSs, just like I think you guys just had a VBS here, and and some different youth programs that were going on, we're playing the ball in the side yard one time, and... uh, Pastor uh, comes out to me. Let me back up before that, before, before he comes to me in the side yard and just tell you this, that one weekend I went on a, on a high school retreat. I was 17 years old, and I had not accepted Christ. I believed that it was a good thing, but I hadn't done anything like that. And so I'm with my group in the back of the camp, and I'm getting a little bored, so I decide I want to, I use an excuse to walk to the front of the camp to either go to the bathroom or get something from the canteen or whatever. You know how teenagers are. (laughs) And so I'm walking up, but you have to walk past the chapel to get to where I was going. And it's a gravel road. I just visited this place just about a year ago, and it brought back some great memories. But as I'm walking uh, up to the chapel, um, back then it it was really hot because it was the summertime. They didn't have air conditioning in the chapel, so the windows were wide open. And the pastor is preaching on a microphone out of the book of Romans, chapter 8. 
And he's talking about how we will never, ever be separated from Christ if we, if we surrender our lives to him and that promise that is there. And you know what? I had been, I don't know why, um, I, I'm starting to put some things together from my youth, but I had a anxiety about where I was going to be after um, I died. And I was scared that maybe I wouldn't, the bigger thing for me was that I wouldn't be with my parents. I wasn't sure I would be with my parents. But I heard exactly what I needed to hear on the road that day. And I'd heard several sermons, I'd heard several teachings, uh, but none of them hit me like that one hit me. And I stopped right there in the road when the pastor gave the invitation outside the chapel on the gravel road and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I wasn't even looking for him. I was looking to get away from my group. He knew where I would be. He was chasing me. And he found me uh, with uh, somebody, with the most surprising way. I, I thought it would have come from somebody I knew, but it, did, it wasn't. It's from a path, another group that was on the church ground. So anyway, I went home. Back to, fast forward back to the story I was telling you. I'm in the side yard. I'm playing sports. And the pastor comes outside, who I'd gotten to know really well. You know, coincidentally, they had invited me to dinner almost every Sunday <laughs> for a long time, you know. And I love I loved Laura's cooking, so I was there. And uh, he comes out and he says, hey, want to go for a drive? Want to go have a Coke? And I'm like, sure. And so uh, I told him about my, uh, what had happened at the camp and uh, with him uh, at a burger chef of all places, which aren't even around anymore. Um, I prayed with him to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Uh, and so that's where the journey started. I'm not, I'm not sure that, you know, just like all of us probably, I, I, wasn't, I didn't have all the facts together at the time, but I was reacting to Christ's love for me in an initial way that got me on the road to where now I have been ministering uh, in professional ministry for over 20 years, uh, and I'm grateful for that walk on that gravel road. So you had um, you know, two distinct people, really three, the, 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 the group of the pastors, or the group of people there, uh, but then really it was the pastor and your friend, you know, your friend and his family, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I, I want to put them off to the side for just a second. I want to ask this question first. Before that moment, before those moments, uh, before you met those people, were there, were there anyone else in your life who evangelized to you? So... Uh, I would say none that I can remember, and I'll tell you why I would say that. I think I got caught up in, when you're in sports, you try to stay squeaky clean, and that was, I was no exception to that. I didn't go to parties, I didn't drink, I was living a good moral life. So up to that point, I didn't have to consider what the best thing was for me. I hadn't even contemplated eternity until shortly right before that. And God knew what was on my heart and drug me in. But there were a lot of great examples in my life, like teachers and coaches, good moral people. But So let me ask you this question then, because this is interesting. I didn't expect to ask this question. Um, Was it because you, now think back at this, you're an adult now looking back at your life, not at the time. Right. Do you think that because of the life you lived, that people didn't think that you you either A, didn't need to hear the message of God, or, you know, or... Or B, they, they thought you already were a Christian. I mean, do you, can you think of reasons why those people in your life didn't come to you? Yeah, I think it's very easy to assume that if you're living a good moral life that uh, there isn't a need to tell somebody about Christ. You, in some cases, especially in that sports realm, you just assume they're a good person uh, and that maybe they don't need to hear that. Um, but I figured out quickly that part of my testimony is I was doing a lot of good things, but they were all for me. Mm. 
They were all for me and my agenda and where I was going to go in sports. I thought I actually was a man pleaser. I was pleasing my coaches and, and my teachers and people that I thought could help forward my cause to get in the right place to do what I wanted to do through athletics. And I would get some awards at the end of each school year for the different sports teams that I was playing on. So I figured that's really all I needed, and it was working. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stay here for a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, when, I became, when I became a Christian and uh, uh, like a really dedicated follower, uh, I was 17 years old. And it, it was funny how the people that I had no idea were praying for me, were, uh, you know, were Christians, you know, all the... I had no idea that these people were actually Christian. Like, they had never told me, but they were, like, telling me, like, oh, I'm so glad you're Christian. I've been praying for you. And the, and, and the very first thought in my mind was, why didn't you tell me earlier? <laughs> you right. know, like, like well, right. why, why did you wait four yeah. years of high school to yeah. get me to that? Like, we could have done this my freshman year instead yeah. of my junior or senior year. Yeah. Did you find that was the case, that when you became a Christian, you're a little bit more outspoken, the people that you, that you knew, that you grew up with, that were influences in your life, were actually Christian? You know, as in, in the age today, the culture today of uh, social media, you definitely find those people. Yeah. The people that you went to school with that now are openly talking about their faith, right. but we didn't talk about it back then. Yeah. I can tell you somebody who was reaching out to me uh, in a very special way, but I didn't realize it because it was a painful reaching out, and he brought it full circle 50 years later. And I didn't plan on telling this story, but you led me down this road. <laughs> Let's do it, man. That's why we have coffee and conversation. All right, so this is a recent thing, uh, and I'm not sure I've ever told this story without crying, so I hope I can be, uh, that you can understand it when I tell it to you tonight. I told you that I grew up in a home uh, that didn't know Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, both my mom and dad were alcoholics. Uh, and while they were very supportive of me in sports and very encouraging, there were many, many times when I could remember both of my parents just being passed out at home or my dad being in a bar and uh, not coming home for a long time. Um, and so part of that was one of those other memories that I had kind of blocked out a little bit um, was uh, a bar in, in Lafayette, Indiana, where my sister and I sat in a car oftentimes until our parents closed down the bar um, <laughs> there we go. We're bringing tissues now, right? Um, closed down uh, until they would close down the bar like at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, they, we'd show up at 6 or 7. And we just, I was, I was 8 years old sitting, and even probably even before then, just sitting in a car, sometimes all by myself, outside of a bar while all kinds of people would go in and out of those doors. And um, it was scary. It was uh, traumatic. Um, I felt uh, anxiety from it that did my parents really care about me? So fast forward, you know, just when you think God doesn't answer prayers and he doesn't have a reason for all the things that happen, fast forward 50 years when I am assigned to the Coca-Cola warehouse in Lafayette, Indiana. So I go back to my hometown and uh, I couldn't even tell you where the Coca-Cola warehouse was in Lafayette, Indiana. I left when I was 20, and I just didn't know where it was. So for the first meeting to meet the employees there, I turn the corner on 6th Street, and I pull up to the Coca-Cola warehouse on the left-hand side. But you know what was immediately on the opposite side of the street? 
the bar mm. where I sat at many, many weekends all by myself in the car, crying, wondering, what had I been forgotten about? Were my parents really going to come out? Feeling forsaken, really. And I really felt like that God was bringing me back to a place where I wondered, did anybody really care? He brought me back to a place where I could care for other people. He could have brought me back to any place, but he brought me back to a place where I felt forsaken. Mm. So it was very impactful to me. Yeah, man, what a great, what a, what a great story. I, I relate well to that. I, we won't get into the details tonight yeah. uh, because we're here about your story. Uh, but man, what a powerful testimony, how God just takes things and brings it right back full circle and, and teaches you something about yourself in the process. Yes. Praise God, man, yes, for what he's, doing absolutely. In, what he's doing in your life. But let, let's talk about um, the pastor's son, your friend, uh, and the family, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, start with the, let's start with your friend, Yeah. okay? What things did he do retrospect, you, as you retrospect on this? Uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what things did he do that, that showed you the gospel of Christ in a positive way? So I believe that as much as I understood, you know, what Christianity was about at the time, I just felt loved by this family, Larry. Yeah. And I felt loved by the mom and dad that invited me to eat lunch with them every Sunday, uh, to go to Cubs games in Chicago, to do a lot of things that I wasn't doing with my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the son and daughter, who would both reach out to me and invite me to church events, to this weekend retreat that um, they knew that I'd probably say yes to because they've loved me so well. So yeah. they just positioned the gospel in a way that uh, when you love somebody that well, you have to give the people the benefit of the doubt that they're going to continue to love you well. So when they ask you to an event at church, you must be, this, this must be a good place too. When the first time they invited you, were you reluctant or were you just eager to go? I think I was eager to go. I really was. I was uh, uh, it was a different crowd that I was connecting with uh, other than sports. And it, um, because a sports mentality is, is kind of like a, you know, get to the top so people can look at you. I was one of the kids that was recognized in the church as somebody that you would look up to because I was accomplishing some things in school. And so they were making me feel wanted and appreciated there. Yeah. Okay. Are there any negative experiences? I mean, not necessarily with the pastor or the the family. Yeah. But any negative evangelism experiences you experienced growing up? All right. So we we all know this guy. Uh, in his different names in different places, probably. But when I was at Purdue, walking across campus, there was a guy named Max. And Max had a megaphone, and Max would just scream at people. Uh, He was screaming scripture, and he was screaming lots of things, but you could just see the only people that were hanging around to listen to Max were the people that were fighting with him. The people that were yelling back at him, it wasn't a warm environment at all. But I'm sure if I was able to talk to Max today, he would say, that's what God was calling me to do. And I'm, I'm not saying that the Word of God all by itself doesn't have enough power to bring somebody to salvation, because I know it does. But uh, it just didn't feel like that definitely wasn't the way for me to be drawn to Christianity. You know, and, and this actually speaks to a cultural relevance, right? I mean, evangelism uh, changes as, 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 uh, as society changes. We, you know, I mean, it used to be, I, and I've heard this story many times, 
people going door to door. You know, door to door evangelism was was pretty big. Uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. you wouldn't dare do that in today's society. You wouldn't go door to door. You know, and some people still do, mm-hmm. um, but it's not as effective as it has been. And even the stuff that we were doing 10, 15 years ago, you know, uh, has changed. And now that we're coming into a society that is more divisive than it's ever been, yeah. we have to rethink evangelism even more. Yeah. You know, it used to be that uh, you, you go and serve somebody, you know, like handing out bottles of water and, you know, and, and, and cooking and doing all these things out in the community, that that's how you got people in the church. Well, now, through a, a recent study, it's it's inviting people to serve alongside of you that gets them into church. Mm-hmm. That's the number one way to get them into church. So, you know, so we see these cultural relevance. When I hear somebody, you know, getting up on their soapbox, you know, so to speak, literally in this case, yeah. uh, and, and shouting out, I was like, yeah, that was good back, you know, in the 1800s or early 1900s, but right. it has no place, you know, or it has a minor place today in, in, in culture, right. you know. Uh, so I, I appreciate that negative experience, you know, <laughs> and I, I think it teaches us some things about what we can't do. Because the one thing, you know, and I hear this all, you know, I don't know if you know this, I'm, I'm somewhat the extrovert. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and our church is somewhat introverted, somewhat uh, yeah. introverted. Uh, and, and, and that's not a, I mean, that's not a bad thing. I, I'm confused by introvertism, that word? Yeah, it is now. Um, I, 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 and and the, what, the number one thing I hear when I ask people about evangelism is we don't want to shove it down their throats. We don't want to be forceful. We don't want to do that. And, 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 when they, and when we think about evangelism, that's what we think about. Mm-hmm. We think about the guy on the soapbox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and we're going to get into this a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But evangelism is, is vastly different today in today's world. And it sounded like your friend yeah. and your pastor uh, really understood that. Right. Exactly. It's... Uh, if, if it's going to be successful today, at least in, in my heart, from my point of view, it's relationship-based. It's uh, people that you get to know, people that you can find things in common with. For me, for a long time, it was sports. That's what I was able to do. And then you grow up and get a little bit older and you get away with that. Although I am uh, still the volunteer chaplain for a large high school in central Indiana, you you won't see me in any pictures or anything like that, but I led a Bible study uh, all June for this football team, uh, and uh, two guys uh, accepted Christ just last night from that oh, Bible study. God. So, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah please. praise That's God, awesome. praise God. He, he did it, that's for sure. But just, just that thing that you have in common, relationships, showing up at practice, being on the sidelines, uh, people that allow you to get close to not just the players, but the coaches and the administrators and the family members who, when you touch their son's life, they want to know what you told their son, and they want to hear the story mm. uh, as well. So I do that for the football team and the basketball team there. That's awesome, man. All right, well, let's talk about your evangelism, all right? Uh, yeah, the next two questions I think we're going to combine because they really talk about the same thing here. Okay. But uh, number one, and I think we all know the answer to this, but how important is evangelism to your faith, in other words, evangelizing to others, not, not necessarily, you, you know, who evangelized to you. Right. What, what, and what methods do you use? And, I, and I, wanna, I want us to understand that if you have one, a difference between how you evangelize to different people. Does that differ or do you have one solid method that you use for everybody? And, and how do you teach that to others? Right, right. That's a good, those are all good questions. Um, I think for me, evangelism is like 
having, you've heard this before, having that cure for cancer and not telling anybody, right? How silly does that sound? Amen. Um, and so that's the way it is with me. I mean, I, I, I get joy out of my Christianity. It's not just for me. It's kingdom joy. It's God reigning kind of joy. It's sovereignty. And um, I want other people to know about that. And I want them to experience it. And I don't force it down their throat, but I try to get close enough to them and pick up some things in their lives that I can speak to. And God has given me the gift of gab, if you haven't figured that out so far. I can usually, well, I think one of the big keys for me, Larry, is to listen well. I think that that's one of the things that are, is, would really be a surprise to a lot of people who are wondering, can I evangelize well? It's not so much the agenda that you have going into or the steps that you have going into leading somebody to Christ, it's how well do you listen to what their hope is in? Mm. Is there hope in their career? Is there hope in position? Is there hope in their marriage? Is there hope in the future that they don't know about? Was there hope in their health and now that's been taken away? There's all kinds of things, but you've got to listen. You've got to listen to what is important to them first and then kind of play their words back to them. Yeah. So it's relevant to them that you're meeting a need in their life when you tell them about Christ. Um, because when you just start out with your agenda, and that isn't something that they're thinking about, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit won't do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We know that when he's ready to go, nothing's going to get in his way. Amen. But yeah. as far as our responsibility, doing the best that we can, um, that's what I try to do. Okay. Uh, so does it, so does it differ yeah. depending on the person? Yeah, that's how, how so? Second, second part of that question. Yeah. Um, is so I, after I listen well on both, whether somebody is a believer or not a believer, even if somebody is a believer, I will ask them what, what makes you think that you're a believer? What makes you think that you're going to be in heaven and listen to them, give their answers. And pretty soon, uh, you start hearing things, you know, like, well, I try to be a good person. I do this. I volunteer on this board. Um, I, I've never hurt anybody. I've never spent any time in prison, you know, and you start hearing about this works mentality that is in their life. And there, and you say, do, do you know for sure? And they're like, well, I don't, but I would hope that at the end that he would look at more of the good things that I've done than the bad things that I've done and say, come on in. And then I asked the question that comes from a book that has really inspired me a lot. I brought it with me tonight. It's called Share Jesus Without Fear. And it's, the author's name is William Fay. And he always says, if you hear them say something that you know isn't in the Bible, that you know isn't correct, that you know isn't the gospel, ask them a simple question. Would you like to know if the Bible says something different? Hmm. And then it's up to them to say, you know, usually most of I've never had anybody say to me, no, I don't want to hear it. If, I, if I've gotten that far in the conversation with them, they might give me a reluctant yes, but they're like, okay, take your best shot. You know, something like that. And then I do tell them how the Bible is a little bit, has a little bit different story. Proverbs 14, 12 is, is the verse that I usually lead off a lot after I get through listening well. And that verse is, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And all these ways that seem right to a man are the hopes that people have in other people, in institutions, in feelings that they have uh, for even for eternity. Um, those things are their plans, and they aren't 
the plan that obviously that God came up with for his son. Now, how do I approach somebody who isn't a believer, doesn't think that they even have a shot? Is It's even more important to listen to them. Uh, in, in a couple of instances, I will listen for things in their life when they talk to me about how they're not at peace, how something is really bothering them, uh, keeping them up at night, losing their sleep, relationship issues. Um, and then it usually comes around to describing a kind of relationship that I think a lot of uh, unbelievers or people that think they believe is where uh, they are in the middle and God is circling around them, trying to meet all their needs, trying to make them happy. Okay? And if you look in the Bible anywhere about where God wants you to be happy, I'm sorry, it's just not there. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to glorify Him. Uh, and then a byproduct of doing those things is being happy. So anyway, the reality is really the opposite, that God is in the middle, and we are circling around God. God isn't circling around us. And so that is a big thing that I talk to unbelievers about when they, think of, when they talk about just the little things that they think they know about God. So let's, let's, let's hit about these nonbelievers just a little bit more. Let's, let's dive a little deeper. Um, because I feel like the, the, um, the go-to is to talk about the happiness and the emotional stability one can have uh, with Christ. I mean, we hear this all, just, just come to Jesus and you know, fix your issues. Come to Jesus. And, you know, all, you know almost, uh, you know, uh, prosperity gospel is very popular because of this, right? Because, yeah. you know, you want that, you want whatever you want, then you come to Jesus, he'll give you whatever you want. And, right. And, and we know that's not true, but to, to a degree, we forget to tell people that, you know, it, it, the first two weeks of Christianity are going to be great, but you realize that Satan's going to attack you. So how do you bring reality into, yeah. a, into a, a conversation about faith? You know, how do you talk about the hard, getting, how Christ will get you through the hard times even after you have Christ? Right, yeah. So the Bible addresses in many different places where God uses adversity to get somebody's attention and to help them finally uh, rely on him for strength instead of their own strength. So that is one uh, easy way to go for sure. But as far as prosperity gospel goes, um, I definitely steer away from that. I ask follow-up questions to make sure. That's good. I ask follow-up <laughs> questions to make sure that that isn't what they think they're understanding that I'm saying. Because if you don't ask those questions, sometimes you're not sure uh, what they're thinking. Because they probably heard more prosperity gospel than they've heard real gospel, yeah, right? And right. so it's easy to go down that road. I, I like to share from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, right at the end, you know that hall of faith chapter where it lists all the great saints of God and all the great things that they've done and how faithful that they've been. That's why it's called the hall of faith, because these people have been faithful during times when they maybe could have decided not to be faithful. But you know what it says at the very end of that chapter? It says that the majority of people listed in this book never experienced the final promise in this life that God had promised them, that their reward and their promise was yet to come. But they were still faithful. They were still loving God, and they were getting joy from it. So, yeah, I, I don't try that. I use that story to position to them that this isn't a fix your problem kind of thing, but I will use what the problem is to get their attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's healthy for us to understand that, that we can explain to people um, that God, you know, that your problems may not go away, 
but you'll have a different perspective on that. Yes. You know, and, and, yes. and joy is not an emotion. It's an inner, it's a lifestyle. It's yeah. a, you know, it, it's a peace yeah. that surpasses all understanding. Right. Another verse that, that I would like to bring up, and, and you uh, helped me to think about that, is the verse that uh, talks about where Jesus says, uh, ask for whatever you want in my name, and it shall be given. And, you know, an unbeliever is going to look at that and say, okay, then if I become a Christian, everything that I ask for uh, in Jesus' name I'm going to get, right? And that's leading down that road to prosperity gospel. But what they don't realize is that once they have legitimately surrendered their life to Christ and to God, mm. that their will has become what he wills. Yeah. And so when they ask for those things, and they're, they're probably not going to ask for something that's out of God's will. So that's one clarification that, you know, if they're looking for the hit the jackpot kind of thing when I accept Jesus, that I talk about that. Now, in your job, are you able to um, teach about uh, evangelism or how have you taught that to those that you have been able to, to, to teach? Yeah, so um, it takes a long time um, to uh, come alongside somebody who is getting paid to be at Coca-Cola or anywhere else and say, you know what, I'd like you to join me in evangelism here. Because they look at me with the chaplain shirt on and say, hey, that's why you're paid to be here, dude, you know, yeah. and you're trying to get me to do it with you. And I'm like, you know, and so I have to gently come alongside even mature believers and convince them that God has placed them here during a season that they have some responsibilities to reach out and disciple and love people uh, while they're at Coca-Cola. And I say in the Bible study that we do all the time is that you spend more time with these employees than you spend with your family yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. How accountable do you think you're going to be as a believer if there isn't a burden on your heart to reach out to them, to invite them to church, to love on them when you are at work, to go the extra mile, to not uh, pay back evil for evil when they do something uh, that might put you in a rough position? Why is evangelism so hard, do you think, in, 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 the, in the work world and, and you know, in the cultural world. I mean, because yeah. yeah, I mean, you've been in this how long now? Again, yeah, at least over twenty years. Over twenty yeah. years. You know, Tim's been in this over 40, 40 years, right? Tim, over forty years. Yeah, uh, you know, I've been doing this for eighteen years. Uh, you know, I think we added up between all of our staff close to a hundred years of ministry total, uh, and and so we're used to people coming to us and asking us, you know evangelistic questions like yeah. you know this comes easy us as it should because our life is you know our life is the church right and right. And, and to a large degree uh you know and, and especially in the church ministry world uh it, it's it's hard for us to understand the struggle that people who work full-time jobs you know in factories or in plants or you know whatever you know, even in office spaces how hard it is to evangelize those things mm -hmm. Why do you think it is so hard for Christians to understand their necessity in this area? Yeah, so I'm going to answer that question in a way that I'm sure you won't be surprised. We're all scared of rejection, aren't we? Yeah. We're all scared of being rejected. But you know what? When we, when we focus more on how we feel uh, when we present the gospel or, or when we love somebody or invite them to an event, a church-related event, or talk to them about Jesus and, and work it in is that we need to focus on the fact that, did you know that the average person in their lifetime needs to hear the gospel six to seven times before they, say, before they surrender their life to Christ, okay? We need to focus on the fact that even if the person rejects you, 
you've gotten them one step closer to them receiving Christ just because you presented the gospel to them, okay? So we focus on rejection and fear. God wants us to focus on obedience. I, I have no problem. I rejoice when I get the opportunity to share the gospel. And, and I don't feel the pressure of me leading them to, to himself because he does that himself, right? Through the Holy Spirit, he draws people to himself. My responsibility is for them to hear the gospel, right. to do my part. That's, if, if, we can, if we can get that part away about the when isn't did they give their life to Christ right in front of me, but the when is was I faithful and did I present it? That's the win. Yeah, I think you really hit a point there because we have a lot of pressure on ourselves that if somebody doesn't accept Christ, yeah. you know, that we're done. I'm not doing this again. It didn't work, yada, 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 you know. Yep. Uh, and, and, I, and I love to tell, uh, tell this story. I used to work security at Toyota. I was really intimidating. Uh, I had a whistle. It was amazing. Um, as if I needed to be any louder than I currently am. Uh, but we, uh, uh, but I would evangelize, you know, in my workspace and, uh, you know, and, and, and it didn't seem like it was working. I mean, at all, right? Uh, and then I, you know, I got married and I became a pastor and years later I get this email. I'm living in Minnesota and I get this email from one of my old coworkers. And she goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I became a Christian. And it was in large part due to your witness. And, and I was blown away because I thought I had messed that one up completely. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and here she is, uh, you know, telling me that, about how important it was that I shared my faith with her in such a real and genuine way. And, it, you know, you may not be able to see, you know, the fruit of what you plant, you know, uh, for years to come, if at all. You know, I think I was fortunate enough that she contacted me, she sought me out, but that normally doesn't happen. No. You know? Yeah. Um, so, all right, uh, so last question, and, <laughs> and, and I'll give you the floor and then we'll end. Okay. Um, what, what do you wish Christians knew about evangelism today, and, and what do we need to know about the unchurched and our current culture? Yeah, so just, a, uh, I wish it could be just one thing, but I'll, I'll say a couple of things, and I, and I think I've said them in a general roundabout way already, but... The first one is just very quickly what we just covered, is don't, don't focus on success being them converting right in front of you. Focus on uh, success being that you had the opportunity to share and that you were obedient and that you were faithful to do it, okay? Um, there's one other thing I was going to share, but I, I, I think that I'm just going to go back to Turning, turning it around when you think that you're going in with a presentation. I mean, I was in sales for a long time, and you would go in with a presentation, but if you didn't listen first, you didn't speak to the person's needs, then you didn't have their attention. I'm going to say that again, is that if you want to be a good evangelist, you need to be a good listener. Mm. There are so many times when I sit in the employee lounge at Coca-Cola, and I may not even be talking to the person, uh, but I hear a lot because I'm a good listener. And I will follow up with that person one-on-one later and I'll say, hey, when you were in the lounge earlier today, you said, you know, this uh, isn't going well in your life or uh, this is going well in your life or, or you've got two kids or, you know, y- you and your wife are going on a trip this weekend, anything. You know, they forget the chaplain is in the room sometimes and they're just talking to a friend and I'm just being a good listener. And so immediately when I pick up on things that they're willing to share with other people, 
I can play those things back to them, and I can relate to them about things that were going on in my life or have gone in my life in the past. Um, I've got six kids and five grandkids, so any experience I don't have, my kids have had, uh, and so I can speak to a lot of things. Um, I, I would say scripturally, uh, Jesus was a good listener. I'm not sure we ever think about that. He asked questions a lot. Think about the woman at the well. How many questions did he ask of her? How much conversation happened about her life before he started talking about eternal things? A lot. Um, think about uh, him relating to fishermen. You know, throw the net out on the other side. You know, that was, it later on became, and you will become fishers of men. But first, it was about them catching fish and him getting their attention. And lastly, I'll just say that when he walked, after he resurrected and he walked with the two men on the Emmaus Road, it wasn't until the very end that he shared some of the things that made their hearts burn within them as he broke the bread and ate the meal with them. He let them tell the whole story. He played kind of dumb. He walked, down, he walked down the road and said, hey, you know, tell me what's going on. Haven't you heard? Where have you been? And they told, told him all about all the things that he had done, and he listened closely, and then he spoke into that. So practice your listening skills. How well do you listen? And play those things back in your gospel presentation the way that you lead somebody to Christ, because that's what they're really going to listen to. All right, that does it for this episode of Coffee and Conversation Live. want to thank our guests for the amazing uh, testimony and answers to our questions. If you don't have a church home, uh, as always, we welcome you and your family to come worship with us each and every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Uh, for worship and Sunday school. There's worship services, both services, uh, and also Sunday school, both services. So something for the entire family. More information can be found at cornerstonerock.org or our Facebook page. Uh, just look for Cornerstone Christian Church or type in CCC Brownsburg. All right, guys, that will do it. We will see you next time on the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Peace, love, and soul. Thank you.